0: Welcome to the Grace Hill Podcast, a weekly podcast of our Sunday messages driven by our pastor. Grace Hill exists to bring God's biblical truth to your everyday life. As we begin this week's message, we invite you to open your Bibles and capture what God has in store for you today. So here we are now, week three in our series, Authentic, as we work through the book of James. Uh, And I've mentioned this. This is my first chance to actually speak in this series, which is kind of crazy to me to go, wow, we're three weeks in, and I'm just now getting to say something about it. So this is good. Uh, so I'm excited. I love the book of James. James is so upfront. He is so direct. He is not trying to tiptoe around issues or, or to kind of skirt the problem, so to speak, right? He is direct to the point. He is on it just right away from the beginning. And and so uh, we, we talked last week, Lennon and Crystal did an incredible job last week speaking about uh, faith without works is dead. And what does that mean? Does that mean that, that we are saved by our works? Does that mean we're saved by what we do? No, that's not what it means. It just meant that the fruit of our salvation will be evident through the life that we live, right? And so, so that was an incredible thought that, that, that they expounded for us and brought out of the word. And then week one, Matt knocked it out of the park just talking about the beginning and the first chapter just going through it. It's incredible. So it's been a great, great start to the series. And so I'm excited to continue with chapter three today as we talk about taming the tongue. Has your tongue ever got you in trouble? come on. Yeah. Mine has never got me in trouble. I have this under control. I'm just, just, it's nice and and compact little gift that the Lord has given me in this tongue that I use only for his good, uh, always. Right? No, I mean, our tongue gets us in trouble probably far more than we would ever like to admit. Right? There are so many times when we've said things that we go, whoops, immediate regret right? We've had those moments. And, and, and I think that, that we will probably continue to have those moments while we continue to work and, and, and strive to be more like Christ in this. Yet our tongue, while it is the smallest, you know, this small little muscle, it's probably the most powerful muscle in the human body because of its ability to tear down, to destroy, or to build up in however it's used. The tongue is a, a, an impressive part of the body. See, Uh, I I can tell you more often than not, the times that it's gotten me in trouble has been probably from a poorly timed joke or an underprepared thought. And you go, that didn't come out the way I anticipated it to, or that was uh, misinterpreted, things of that nature. And then I try to do the awkward task of trying to dig myself out of it using that same tongue that just got me into trouble in the first place, right? And only digs it deeper and deeper, right? You've had those moments several times. If you're married, men, uh, you know how common of of an issue that this can be, where you go, no, that's not what I'm, you misunderstood, that's not what I, and you, what I meant was, and you go, just stop, just do yourself a favor in that moment, just be quiet, and just, you just cut your losses and move on. You just go, you know what? we'll rebound later. We'll come back. We'll fix it in time, right? The tongue can, can get us into trouble. And, and if we're good enough with it, maybe it can get us out of trouble. But more often than not, the tongue can get us in trouble. Uh, James has explained two characteristics of mature Christians in, in, in these first two uh, chapters. He, you know, uh, First, he, he is patient in trouble. A mature Christian is patient in trouble. And we learn that in chapter, chapter one. And then chapter two talks about practicing truth. And in this section in chapter three, uh, he shares uh, this third characteristic that is the power over his tongue. The mature Christian has power over the tongue. The tongue is powerful, and and, and if just left to to have its way and to do what it wants, it can be a destructive, destructive device. There was a pastor who told a story. About a member of his church, and it was a lady in the church who was a, a big time gossip within the church. And and this was this would have been you know twenty years ago at this point now, but but she would just sit on the phone all day and just share whatever prayer reco- prayer request that she had from others to pass along. Right? But I just really think you need to be praying for brother so and so because rumor has it. Oh, that sounds like a prayer request, right? And so it's just this continual, constant. A, a, you know gossiping going on constantly just going constant constantly just always wanting to speak to anybody who would hear or who would listen and and it was the pastor was aware of it and had tried to deal with it several times and at one point she came to the pastor and said oh pastor the lord has convicted me the lord has convicted me and i need to i need to confess my my issue with gossip and now the pastor was was very Uh, aware of the fact that what she was speaking was not authentic because she had gone down this road several times before. And at this point he's going, how many times are we going to do this? You know, I've I've dealt with this over and over. And he says to her, and and just kind of sheepishly and and cautiously, then what do you plan to do about it? She said, well, I need to lay my tongue on the altar. And the pastor says, ma'am, there's not an altar big enough. (laughs) And just left her to think about what he had just told her. Now, the tongue can get us in a lot of trouble, right? And if left uncontrolled, can be destructive. But if, if brought into alignment with the word of God and to who the Lord is, it can be a, a powerful source of, of, of building up and of evangelizing. Uh, the Christians James that was writing to were apparently uh, struggling heavily with their tongue because all throughout James, you hear about the struggles of what they were speaking and what they were saying. This is a constant theme running through the book of James. And in James 1, he says, be swift to hear, slow to speak, right? He's saying, bite your tongue. Uh, and and then, then he says also that, that the believer who does not bridle his tongue is not truly religious, And then we must speak and act as though we are already facing Christ in judgment. We find that in chapter two. And then if you read through James chapter four, uh, you get the impression that their meetings that they were having within this congregation and this church that they were having were probably rather interesting and probably rather heated with the things that were being said back and forth. So giving some context here, James is speaking to a group of believers that have no control over their tongue and what they're saying. And so they were just running wild with with what is being said back and forth to each other. And I'm sure there was not exactly, gauging the fact that James is addressing it, I don't think they were encouraging one another uh, you know, as brothers and sisters in the Lord. It wasn't like, oh, sister so-and-so, you look fantastic this morning. How are you? May the Lord bless you. I, I have a feeling that was not quite the sentiment that was being shared back and forth based on the words of James. The power of speech is one of the greatest powers God has given us. With the tongue, man can praise God. He can pray, he can preach the word, and he can lead the lost to Christ. That's an incredible privilege that God has given us. But with the same tongue, he can tell lies that could ruin a man's reputation or break a person's heart. The ability to speak words is the ability to influence. It's the ability to accomplish tremendous tasks, and yet often we take this ability for granted. Speech is not a a small thing that God has given us. It is the most powerful tool that we have. If you look in the world of marketing, they say that, that you can spend all of this money, you can do all of these great endeavors to try to market and to promote, but the greatest, most powerful marketing tool is word of mouth. Because speech is powerful. The tongue is powerful. In order to impress on us the importance of controlled speech, and the great consequences of our words. James gives us six pictures of the tongue. He talks about the bit, the rudder, fire, a poisonous animal, a fountain, and a fig tree. And you can put these into to three meaningful classifications that we're going to do this morning. The big idea today is this, that the tongue's power is greater than any of us could ever know. One of the things we try to teach our boys uh, all the time is, is the power of their words in, in what it is that they're speaking, in, in how it can build up or how it can tear down. And so, oftentimes, when, when they say things to one another, or even if they're joking, we'll, we'll go, hey, guys, let's use different words. Let's talk different words because there's power in the words we use. So, let's read starting this morning in James chapter 3, verse 1. I'm going to read through verse four, it says this. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example, Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you, God, for your word, and we thank you for what you want to speak to us and how you want to instruct us through your word. So, Father, today I pray that we take your word and that we apply it, that we use it in our lives to become more like you today. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So James is, is dealing with a church full of people who wanted to be teachers, apparently, right? He says, not all of you should be teachers. There's a there's good reason why not everybody teaches, right? And this is what James is trying to express. He says, you want the, you want the, 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 the authority that comes with the position, or possibly you want the prestige that comes with the position, but, but they weren't you know, keen on the idea of the responsibility or, or, the, or the accountability that comes with the position as teacher. And he's saying, not all of you should be teachers, In verse two, he makes a great statement. He says, we all stumble in many ways, I find this to be incredibly encouraging because it's easy for us to look into the word of God and read about the men and women in the Bible and, and to think about those that were the authors of the word of God. And it's easy for us to place them on this pedestal of perfection and, and, and deem them as perfect holy saints, right? That, that they don't have mishaps and they don't stumble and they don't fall and they don't have their struggles and their weaknesses. And James comes along to debunk that entire theory and I did and he says, we all stumble. In many ways, we all stumble in many ways. And he brings it back to the tongue in a hurry. He says, anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Think about that. That's incredible. You go, wow, the simple fact of being able to keep my speech in check will allow my body, my whole self to become perfect. Let's talk about that word perfect for a minute. The Greek word for perfect is the word teleos. And teleos actually means mature. It's the word for mature. It doesn't mean absolute perfection. It, it doesn't mean that, that you, you can reign in the tongue and that you live now this holy, perfect life you know, apart from the need of Christ, right? No, 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 this just talks about spiritual maturity. He says, as you grow in your walk with the Lord, as you develop who you are and you have the ability to reign in your speech, to reign in your tongue, that is the next phase in becoming this mature Christian that God has called you to be. It's about, see, James is all about not just being content with the salvation we receive, but striving and growing in our sanctification, in this growth, in this walk along with the Lord. And he says, see, when, we, when we learn to reign in the tongue, when we learn to, to, to put it in its place, that the whole body can be made perfect. The whole body can become mature in Christ. When I first read through this, I asked myself, okay, is he being sarcastic, right? Like, oh, if you can rein it in, then you'll be perfect. But the reality is, is he, he's telling us that if we learn to control it. We can determine the direction that the rest of us goes. I, uh, I am not a cowboy or a ranch hand. Um, I'm wearing loafers with no-show socks this morning. Let's be real, Okay. But I am from Texas, and so I have ridden horses and things of that nature growing up. And the, the greatest moment of riding a horse in my life was actually in Colorado when we were on vacation one time. And I was about 10 or 11 years old, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, we were on vacation, and my dad decided we were going to do a two-hour horse ride through the mountains, which is awesome, right? You go, I mean, this is really cool. And as a 10, 11-year-old kid, I was thrilled and excited because I was old enough to get my own horse. And I was like, I'm big time. And I felt really cool until I got up to the horse and realized that that horse was far more big time than me, right? And so there's this, this kind of like from a distance, I'm like, yeah, I want that one. And then you get up close and you're like, is there something smaller to the mind of a 10 year old, right? So we get on the horse and I'm like, okay, I can do this. I, I've been on a horse, I can do this, okay? And we start to go and I freeze, right? I panic, I get like fear. And so I'm having the hardest time getting the horse to go. I'm having the hardest time getting like the courage to pull, to be like, go this way, right? I'm struggling with the reins. And so finally the guy who was leading our our group comes back and he grabs the reins of my horse and he pulls me up to the front. And it was a cool thing because then I'm just hanging on. I'm just holding on the rest of the day, acting like I'm leading this horse. I had no control of the thing the guy leading had control of the reins, which meant that he could pull that horse wherever he wanted to go based on the bit in its mouth and could change the course and the direction of that horse. It was awesome. So for two hours, we rode through the mountains and I didn't have to pay attention to anything. I just had to sit there and take it all in, right? It was just an incredible moment as a child. Now, the next morning, like full disclosure here, uh, I was so saddle sore, I legitimately thought I was paralyzed and I may have overreacted. As I screamed from our bed in the little condo we had rented, Mom! I can't move my legs! And I woke everybody up at like 6 in the morning because I couldn't move my legs. It's made for an awful second day of vacation, but being on the horse and seeing how the horse was led and directed by this small piece of metal because the, the 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 guide had placed this bit in its mouth and knew that whenever he wanted it to go to the right he pulled this way if you want to go to the left he would pull this way and that horse would follow the direction it's incredible when you think about the size of this animal here i am as a child fearful because of how large this animal is and yet it was directed and led by a small piece of metal in the mouth of this horse it really is remarkable. Now, Lauren and I, we've gone on a few cruises and I think cruises are, are fantastic. I absolutely love it. It's a lot of fun. And, and, and these boats are huge and they're massive. The average, I looked it up just because I was curious, the average weight of a cruise ship is somewhere between 20,000 tons and 60,000 tons. These are not small boats. These are massive, huge things. And so I looked up, I was like, what is the size of a rudder on these huge cruise ships? It's this will blow your mind. So these things are huge. So I looked it up. The rudder size is typically, not always, but typically 2% of the water of the size of the boat underwater. So 2% of the size of the boat that is underwater, which means not big. I was going also still really impressive when you think about these things, both of them have to fight against the natural tendencies to get the, the the boat or the horse to go where you want it to go, right? With the horse, you are fighting its wild instincts based on a little piece of metal in the mouth of the horse. You are fighting it because it wants to do its own thing. And there's that whole process of breaking a horse and getting it to come into alignment with where the the, the, the ranch hand or the cowboy that is breaking the horse is trying to get it to understand where it should go. And the same thing with the ship. You have this little rudder that is trying to work against wind and currents and and fight through and and be leading this 20,000, 60,000 ton boat based off of 2% of what is underwater. See, in the same thing, in our world, in our lives, we have a natural desire to speak things that are not encouraging or building up, but yet they tear down and they destroy because the the, the tongue has the power to direct. And we have to fight our natural flesh desires and have to, to push against the current. We have to bridle our wild instincts, so to speak, with our tongues in order to bring it into alignment to lead us where God is calling us to go. Because otherwise, if left alone, our tongues will take us places and say things and do things and and, and write checks that maybe we can't cash. Because the tongue has the power to direct. The tongue has the power to direct. There is something so powerful about our words when you think about it in in different contexts. Think about somebody who's standing before the judge and and the power of the words between guilty and not guilty and the direction that it'll lead their life in that moment. The power of our words to begin to speak to somebody else to say, no, you're not good enough or to say you are the greatest, you, you can be greater than you've ever known. The ability to encourage or to tear down in the direction that it'll send those lives. The tongue has the power To direct. A runaway horse or a shipwreck could mean injury or death to others. Our words affect others. Our next point this morning is this the tongue has the power to destroy. The tongue has the power to destroy. Let's jump back into our, our text this morning. We'll start in verse five. I'll give you a moment. Uh, we'll be in James chapter three, verse five, right here for this next little bit. If you do have your Bibles this morning, I will encourage you to open it and read it uh, with us and find it. Um, I'm gonna take two seconds to, to speak to something that is not on my notes. Uh, we are gonna be working over these next little bit um, in our church as a whole to help develop a culture of biblical literacy and understanding and knowing the word of God. Uh, if you look at the, the, the world historically and culturally where we are now, this would be deemed the most biblical illiterate generation of all time. Way to go us, right? right? We're doing awesome. But we can fight against that. Uh, so some of the things, we're going to start tweaking and changing some things within how we do church on Sunday mornings uh, to encourage each of us uh, to be more in the word of God. So, So one of my encouragements is bring your Bible to church on Sunday mornings, open it and, and, and find where things are in the Bible. And that sometimes is the most intimidating part going, I don't know where anything is. This is a good, this is a good safe place to learn where things are in the word of God, right? So that's my, my quick little tidbit and there'll be more on that to come. But, uh, so starting in verse five, it says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boast. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. A world of evil among parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. On October 8th, 1871 was the day that started the great Chicago fire and it started in the O'Leary barn at approximately 8:30 p.m. small fire could have been contained had it been noticed it could have been stopped but like any other fire it spread and it spread quickly in fact it, it spread so fast and it was so widespread and it, and it did so much damage that 100,000 people were left homeless 17,500 buildings were destroyed and 300 people died This was an incredible tragedy in the city of Chicago. It cost the city over $400 million to repair. You do that in today's dollars, that's over $8 billion of damage. It's mind blowing, it's remarkable just the the devastation that one small fire can cause. Our words can start fires. David writes about uh, an experience uh, that he had uh, because he spoke when he was hot, right? Have you ever been just like angry and just hot and then you speak and you go, (laughs) whoops, right? Okay, we've all been there, I think so. I hope so. Otherwise, I feel like an idiot right now. Psalm 39, verse one, David says this, he said, "'I said, I will watch my eyes and keep my tongue from sin. "'I will put a muzzle on my mouth while "'while in the presence of the wicked.'" skip down two verses in chapter 39, verse three, Psalm 39, verse three, says, my heart grew hot within me while I meditated the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. So two verses ago, he was going to keep his mouth shut. He lasted all of two verses. And uh, while I was hot, he said, I spoke with my tongue. Have you ever had that moment where you think, you know what? No, I'm going to bite my tongue. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to keep it shut. And then something else happens. They just it's like poking the bear. And you're like, you better stop, right? You better stop. And then all of a sudden, alright, that's it. You went too far. This is where David is at, right? He's in this moment of, I was gonna do it. I was gonna be strong. I was gonna hold tight. I was gonna keep my mouth shut, I wasn't gonna say anything, and I was just getting angry, I was getting really angry, hoping that they would quit. So rather than walking away, David stayed so that they could continue to make him angry, right? That's how I look at it, and I'm like You had the chance to walk, man. He's like, nope, nope. I just wanted to hear what else they had to say. And then just come down on them. I'm David. I'll kill you with my tongue. I've had that experience. I know I've been there many times. For me, my my initial reaction in situations when I begin to become angry is I begin to start seeing things and finding ways to tear down or to make the person feel like less of a person, right? It's not a good thing, right? This isn't a a characteristic or trait about me that I'm proud of. This is something that I too have to work on. Uh, There was was a time in a few years back, we were in Disney and and we were, there had been a parade. It was like the three o'clock parade or whatever. And this lady was angry with us because we stopped and we were watching this parade. And she was getting very upset with me. And I turned and I looked at her and I had to bite my tongue because I was thinking, I'm ready to tear you to pieces, woman, in front of all of these people. And it was the grace of God that I bit my tongue. And Lauren was very proud because in the moment afterwards, we left and I told her everything I wanted to say. And she was like, I'm really glad you didn't. And I'm like, yes, I know, because I wanted to keep, my family in the park that day, right? I didn't want this to become a thing that didn't need to happen. You know, it's one of those moments where you go, thank you, Lord, for giving me grace in this moment, because the need to tame this, it would have been a fire that began to burn uncontrollably. Our words can destroy. Fire has a propensity to continue to grow, and the more fuel you put on the fire, the faster and the further it can go. Fire damage can linger. It can last longer than expected. Uh, When I was younger, I had a friend or a family friend in our church and and they lost their house to a fire. And it started with a small spark in my friend's bedroom. There was a a plug on the floor and water spilt and the rest is history, right? And they stopped the fire in time before they lost everything, right? But because of the damage of the heat and the smoke, even in areas where the fire didn't get, it was deemed completely unsafe and they had to flatten it, level it to the foundation and build again. It was remarkable because even in areas where the fire did not directly touch, it had heated up so much that they were afraid that nails and screws would have begun to melt and become unstable and not strong enough to support the structure any longer. Didn't know that that was a possibility. Blew my mind. I was going, wow. And because of the damage that happened, uh, even away from the fire, they had to move out, tear it down, and build brand new again. See, fire—the effects of fire go far beyond just the initial and what, what is seen and what is evident. The same with our words. When we speak with tongues that, that, that are that are throwing darts, right, and throwing arrows in these flaming areas, and then we're after the, the residual effect is far greater than just the initial moment of the words spoken. See, our words can destroy. Our words can tear down. Our words can begin to 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 ruin lives and hearts. James also talks about how that there are animals that are that are all kinds of animals, birds, and reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. I've been around some wild animals and and I've had the privilege of seeing some. In 2013, I went to Africa on a mission trip. It was really cool. And we got to do a safari. The coolest thing I saw on the safari was a lioness hunt and kill uh, a baby warthog. Sorry for the baby warthog. It was a lot of entertainment for me, right? The lion had to eat. That's just how it is. It was incredible to be able to sit there and watch this animal take off at full speed and, and go and, and track down and hunt and kill this. It was remarkable just to see it. The guide that was leading our safari had never seen that themselves. They had never, they were like, whoa. So she's pulling out her camera. Like, all, I mean, it was crazy. And we we're like, okay, this is a big deal, right? We didn't even think anything out. This is huge. And here's what I learned though. It, you know, you see them and you're like, wow, that was awesome. And, and you, we have these open air like Land Rovers that we're riding in and I go, could we step out? And she goes, if you want to be eaten. And you go, oh. And then later on, we went to this place where we went to go see the hippos. And what do we do? We get out. And I'm like, hippos eat more humans than any other animal on the planet. And that's where we're going to go walk over to the, that's smart. The lion was already eating. I think we weren't going to be bothered by it. Let's go stand by the hippos. Okay. Don't worry, There is also crocodiles. <laughs> you know. But here's what I know is that, that we can see these animals and we can think of them as majestic, right? And we we'll watch them from a distance and we'll think, wow, this is so peaceful. This is so cool. This is neat to watch. And then you step out of the vehicle and this animal that looked like it was great and, and, and wonderful to watch from a distance. Now the wild nature is able to be unleashed on us, Right? It's the same thing with our tongues, that, that, that if we don't learn to rein it in and to control it, the wild nature of our tongue will begin to not only start fires, but it'll be like the untamed animals who are then in attack mode and in go mode and want to, to destroy and to tear down. Here's what it comes down to. It all comes back to the heart. So we've talked about all these things, it's just like the tongue can be destructive, it can destroy, it can destroy you. It starts with the heart and it ends with the heart, what is in the heart. And Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty three and 34, he says, make a tree good and its fruit will be good or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad for a tree is recognized by its fruit. This is essentially James is reiterating this statement and this thought of Jesus in this moment. And he says this, you brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. With the heart is full of. So when it comes to our words and it comes to to our speech and the tongue that we that we use. What is, what is it stemming from? What is it coming from? What is the condition of our heart? What is in our heart in those moments? What is, well, are we full of the love of Christ? Because if that's the case, then out will come love and grace in our words, right? Or are we full of selfish ambition and desires? Because out of, out of that fullness is what we are going to speak and is what we're going to share. See, see, the heart is essentially exactly in the only place where our words come from. It's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Is our heart full of? Is it full of filth and hatred and lies, or is it full of love, acceptance, peace, and truth? Our words have the power to destroy, but Jesus has the power to restore. The third thing this morning is this: is the power to save. In verse nine, it says. So James here is using similar illustration to what, what Jesus used saying, you, know, you can tell a tree by its fruit. You can determine a tree by its fruit, right? The fruit that it produces is typically gonna be an indicator of the type of tree it is in our backyard. We have a fruit tree. And, and I walked over to it one day and I was like, oh my word, this thing's actually producing fruit. This is kind of crazy. And, it's, and we look at it and I know it's a pear tree. You know how I know it's a pear tree? Because it grew pears. I'm really smart. Uh, so, so, what is it? so I was like, wow, we have a pear tree. And you go, oh, these are real pears. This is incredible. Now, if it was an apple tree and it started producing pears, first of all, calling the news, because I'm kidding on TV, uh, but it would, it would be an anomaly, right? It wouldn't be, it's not possible. A pear tree is not going to produce apples, an apples not going to produce pear trees. You cannot produce fruit that you are not, designed to produce, right? Or that you have not been transformed to create. See, it's the same thing with our tongue. We are not going to speak life if we're full of death. And see, see so we have this, this, this kind of struggle back and forth sometimes. We're like, well, they weren't saying nice things to me. They weren't being kind. Well, what's in their heart? You can't expect an olive tree to produce figs. See, I, I think of it like this. You, you can take a fig tree and you can plant it amongst olive trees and go, okay, now, You are around olive trees, produce olives. Doesn't work that way. When it comes time to to grab the fruit off of the trees, right? You're still going to have figs on a fig tree and you're still going to have olives on an olive tree. Again, I'm really smart. So just roll with me on this. You could then take that same fig tree and you could begin to prune it and shape it to look like an olive tree. You can give it the same you know, food and nutrients as all the other olive trees. You can do everything you should do for the olive trees to the fig tree. And at the end of the day, you're still gonna produce figs. Maybe not as healthy as you would if you would have treated it like a fig tree, but nonetheless, it is created and designed to produce figs, right? Here's what I see in our world and in our walks of Christ is that A lot of times we speak words that that aren't indicative of the fruit we should be producing. You see, our, our tongue is, is usually an indicator of the fruit that we possess and the fruit that we are growing. See, as, as Christians, as believers, as those who, who walk with Christ, we should be producing the fruit of the spirit, right? We should be able, to, that should be visible, it should be seen and it should be heard through the words that we speak and what we say. See, James is all about uh, the, the indicators within our faith and in our salvation, right? James is all about saying, hey, as believers, this is who we should be, this is what we should look like, this is maturity in our walk with Christ. This is that growth and that development. And he's saying, you can't produce fruit that you, are not being, that you aren't being created and designed to produce. So here's what, I, what I've found and just in this understanding and kind of this thought through this is that only Jesus can transform to change the type of fruit we produce. Only Jesus can make that shift. I think Jesus ha- had an incredible moment with a fig tree when he was like, you don't have any figs? curse you. The thing withers and dies. See, Jesus has the power over trees and the type of fruit we produce, right? And he can come into our hearts and into our lives, and he can begin to transform and shape and change so that the words that we speak are now anchored in and rooted in who God is and who the word is and, and what, what Jesus says he is and who we should be in Christ. And through that, we then begin to speak the words and share the words that show the fruit that is being developed and being, beginning to, to, to flourish on the outside, See, our, power, our, our lips have the power to, to destroy, our tongue has the power to, to tear down. It has the power to direct and to change the course, but it has the power to save. We started in the beginning talking about how, how speech is one of the greatest gifts God has ever given us, one of the greatest powers he's ever given us because we can praise him and we can worship him, but also it is through our, our, our mouth that we, we find salvation. And it goes back to the heart again. And Paul wrote in Romans that if we, believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, then we will be saved. See, it all ties back to the heart and the mouth. The heart and the mouth. When it comes to what we say and the, the words we use in any situation in any moment, and, and whether it's heated or whether it's, or whether it's a subdued moment, no matter what it is we're speaking, it all stems from the condition of our heart. And when it comes to the, the Salvation of our hearts, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to those things, that it, it deals with our heart. It starts in the heart, in the belief in Christ, and from that comes the overflow of our words and our speech. I'll invite the worship team to join us. So, to wrap things up, the, the question is what is truly at the center of our hearts? What is truly at the center of our hearts? What, what are our, our thoughts and our desires? What is it that we are truly pursuing and what are we truly after? What are we anchored in? What are we rooted in? See, as we go through James, James is, James is, gonna, is gonna push us. James is gonna challenge us in our faith. That's his, that's his goal. And when he wrote the book in the first place was to challenge the recipients to say, hey, we can be better. We can grow. And some of you, this isn't to come down on you. This is to say, you know what? There's always room for improvement. There's always room for improvement. There are those of you in this room that I look around and I go, man, incredible men and women of God. But there's always space to grow. So what's at the center of our heart? Because it's from there that is going to, to, to then be poured out of our mouth, right? So what, what are we filling our hearts with? What are we filling our, our thoughts with? Is it Jesus? If it is, can people tell that it's Jesus? there need to be some realigning? Or or has Jesus kind of been pushed aside a little bit and and we've replaced it with other things and different thoughts and we say, okay, God, I see it coming out of my speech. I hear what I'm saying and I don't like the words that are coming out of my mouth. I don't like what I'm saying. I don't like the way I'm speaking, the way I'm reacting, the way I'm treating others with my words. Let me be realigned. Let Jesus be the center. Let Jesus be at the middle point of my heart so that out of that, I speak love, I speak life, I speak grace. I say, God, I wanna look like you, not just in, in, in the way I live, but I want my words to be a reflection of the word of God. I want my words to be a reflection of the heart of Christ. I don't want my words to be destructive I want my words to encourage and to build. I want my words to direct not only my life, but the lives of those around me towards Jesus. As a parent, I go, I-, I want my words to direct my children to Jesus. I don't want the things I say to be a turnoff to others around me, but I want them to draw people to Jesus. And I think that's, that's sometimes the one that we easily kind of slip over and not think about. You know what, we are... People see us. They're not necessarily looking out for us like, okay, what did the Christian do this time? But, but nonetheless, what we say and how we act in moments and situations are either going to direct people towards Jesus or they're gonna push people away from Jesus. So we say, God, let my words lead people to Jesus. Some of those are simple things, right? But allowing my heart to be in alignment with God, to be in alignment with what the Lord is speaking, what the Lord is doing. So this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we thank you. That we thank you for your word. We thank you that, that you push us, that you challenge us, that you, 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 you cause us to want to be more like you. God, this morning, I pray that you just search our heart. Holy Spirit, we allow you to just, just speak to us. You search our heart right now. God, if there's anything, if there's anything in us that has taken the place of you, God, that you're you're no longer the center, but you are secondary or lower. God, I pray that you help us to realign and to refocus and say, God, in this moment, I surrender my heart back to you and I say, Lord, let, let your words be what comes out of my mouth. Let your thoughts be what come out of my mouth. In Jesus' name. This morning, again, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here and you say, Pastor Ryan, I don't know Jesus. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, and I want to ask him into my heart, and I, and I want to, to live for him. What does that mean? That means that, that, that at this moment you say, you know what? I recognize Jesus as a Savior, and I know I need him. Apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. You say, I know I need Jesus. And I want to surrender my life to him. Does that mean that 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 all of a sudden your life becomes dull or, or boring? No, 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 it's just the opposite. In fact, it means that you find freedom, you find joy, you find enrichment and hope that you've never known before. And if that's you this morning, you say, I need Jesus. So just on the count of three, if you just lift your hand, one, two, three. Anybody at all this morning? Anybody at all? Always want to give the chance. Anybody. Father, we love you, Lord. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your hand on us. God, that you speak to us. Lord, that you challenge us, that you lead us, that you work through us and that you move, that you move in our hearts, Lord, that you don't wanna leave us the same, but you wanna move us forward day after day after day after day. And so God, I pray that you use this time. God, I pray that we we are challenged by your word. God, that we're motivated by your word to grow, to be more like you. God, I know oftentimes the tongue and what is said wants to be overlooked or pushed aside and not thought about, but God, it is so indicative of what is in the heart. God, it's essentially the thermometer of where our heart is, Lord. And so I pray, God, that, that our words will reflect Christ in every situation, in every moment. We thank you for it. We give you glory. We give you honor for it in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Grace Hill is always about knowing God and growing in God, and we want to hear from you. If you have a prayer request or a question, you can email us at info at gracehill.cc.